Well, once again, Happy Easter, Church. If we were in the big room together, you might hear me say, Christ is risen. And if you were there and you were answering, you would say, He is risen indeed. Uh, That's been a refrain uh, back and forth between believers for centuries. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. I don't know what it was like for you growing up. Maybe you weren't a churchgoer as a younger person, maybe as a child. You did go to sunrise services and all kinds of other things. I don't know what your upbringing was like and what Easter means for you or meant for you, but I'm probably accurate to say that this is one of the, if not the only, time in recent modern history that most churches globally are not meeting together in fashion that they once would have. It's thrown everyone for a bit of a loop and made us reevaluate everything about not what we believe, but how we practice what we believe and solidifying the things that we do believe, treasuring the memories that, that we're making and we've made. I don't know uh, about you, like I said, but in church circles, I am known as a Buick. B-U-I-C-K. That's what I was. Brought up in church kid. That's, that's what I am. I'm a brought up in church kid. And that meant for my mom taking my young sister and I, uh, and then my dad came along a little later in my childhood, we would all just go to church. And the highlight of the year, among other things, was Easter morning. And I don't know, again, what traditions you uh, participated in, but we always had a sunrise service. And sunrise services back then, I don't know, they started at like 4 a.m. I mean, it it felt like 4 in the morning to get us all up, and it was probably 6.30. But, you know, you, you, you walked in to church, and it was back in the day when everybody got their new Easter dress, and they had their new Easter bonnet on, or, the you know, the girls all had their hats, and... And I had to wear a tie, and I was like, I can't take this, you know. And it was terrible, but it was great. Because it was it was a big deal to prepare for all that. Flowers everywhere, and sunrise service got over. And I wasn't all cranked up about sunrise service. What I wanted to get to was breakfast. Breakfast at my home church, Parkview Church of Christ in Finley, Ohio. As a young kid, I know I, you know, you romanticize memories a lot, but it was epic. I mean, and the men of the church did it all. They brought in the huge propane tank griddle for all, for all the pancakes and all the eggs. You could get fried eggs or scrambled eggs. You could get all the pancakes you could eat. You could get sausage links and bacon and biscuits. And this wasn't like you go through the line and get your food. You just sat down with your families and the guys would come with platters stacked high with flapjacks, sausage links, or whatever you wanted. And they would just pour it out on your plate. And it didn't matter if you had seconds or thirds. And they would come back around again. And they would say, hey, how about some more? And you were like, no, I'm really full. And they would, doesn't matter. Just put more on your plate. And you just get sick. I mean, I, I got, I didn't get literally sick, but I ate till I felt like I was sick. And then, you know, you kind of played around in the church, waited for Sunday school to start, 
And then you got into big church, which was the main worship service, tried not to go to sleep because you've been up half the night, and then you go home and you crash on the couch, and then you get your Easter basket and all the candies and all the good... I don't know. That was my experience, and I loved it. It was fantastic. Um, but for some, Easter is about... And I'm not throwing stones, but for some, Easter is about the only time of the year that they get to church. And there's that old joke about the guy who went to church <clears throat> like he was supposed to on Easter. And on the way out the door, he shook the preacher's hand and he goes, I don't know about you people. Every time I'm here, all he talk about is the same thing. And, well, it is. It's the same story. It's kind of like Christmas in that way. The story never changes. And it's kind of like Christmas in that there are external and non-biblical things that we attach to the holiday. Things that aren't, aren't evil in and of themselves. I mean, things like bunnies and eggs and marshmallow peeps. Well, well, marshmallow peeps might be from the devil, but, and, but probably not. I'm just making that up. They can be fun and colorful and one more excuse to buy candy. But if we're not careful, like, you know, we have to remind ourselves that Jesus is the reason for the season. Well, Jesus is the reason for Easter, too. And so much of our cultural observances about Easter can drown out the message and the proclamation of resurrection. And like Christmas, we can feel like we've heard it all before. I mean, the story is fairly simple, right? A guy walked out of the tomb. Growing up in church, you pretty much know you've read, you've read this passage before, you know this story. But then there are places in the Gospels where you're reading, and then there was one, I mean, I know I've read this before, but I'm reading it again, and I stub my tongue on something, and I have to stop. And here it is in Matthew 27, the big part of the, the, my main text here today, Matthew 27, verse 50 and 53. And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. So context, this is Friday. We're talking about the crucifixion. At this point in the text, we're talking about when Jesus died. Well, listen where Matthew takes us. At that moment, when Jesus breathed his last, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Wait, what? Are, are you telling me that Jesus wasn't the only person that rose from the dead on Easter Sunday morning? Yes, that's what Matthew's telling us. The earthquake that occurred when Jesus died rattled loose stones and doors on the openings of these tombs. And I want to take a little bit of time to talk about the tombs themselves, because tombs and graves are not the same then as they are now. They were holes on the side of a cliff that someone dug out, or they were naturally occurring caves that they would use for burial places. So someone 
would die. They would wrap their body in these grave cloths, these linen strips. There was no embalming necessarily, no preservation. That was for wealthy Egyptians somewhere else. But so many times, one whole family would own a tomb. It was their tomb. And so when someone passed away, they, they would take the body and they would wrap it and, and put spices and aloes, and that was just to keep the stink down, I think. And they would place it within, within that tomb. And in, in about a year, they would go back to that tomb and they would take what was left of the body, what hadn't decayed or dried and, and, and just rotted away, and they would gather the bones. And they would collect the bones together and place them in a box called an ossuary. And they would place that, and many times those boxes had names written on them, carved in them. They found tons of them in the Holy Land. And they would take that box of bones and they would place it either on the floor or up on a, on a shelf that they'd cut out of the rock and then box after box after box of, of the bones of people that had gone on before. It's, it was a space saver and, uh, and it helped that one tomb could, well, it could, it could serve many, many years for a lot of people within an extended family line. So this is the tomb situation. This is why it says in Matthew 27, 60, that Jesus used a new tomb belonging to Joseph of Arimathea. He'd not used it yet. It was a new tomb cut out of the rock. So there were no other bodies in it, no other bone boxes. It was brand new. And Matthew's gospel indicates there were other, many other tombs like this in the vicinity of Jerusalem that were split open when Jesus breathed his last, that the earthquake took place and these tombs were broken open. The stone coverings that, that covered the openings were gone, split, broken. Now, I don't know. The timeline necessarily indicates that when Jesus died, there were a few hours from that point until sundown on Friday. Whether or not people noticed these tombs were, were, were in disrepair, the, the openings were, were exposed, whether or not they did anything, doubt it, uh, especially on Saturday, the day of rest. No one would have dealt with that at all. But then Sunday came. There was another earthquake, angels appearing, the Son of God coming forth from his own tomb, and there were others, it says, many holy ones, righteous people, who came out of their tombs, went into the city, and showed themselves to many people. As I was pondering this, I thought about that Old Testament story about Elisha's bones. Remember that one? In 2 Kings chapter 13, there were, Elisha, it says, died and was buried. Now, there were groups of Moabite raiders, these foreign mercenaries that would invade the land every spring, it says. And once when some Israelites were burying a man, now again, not burying like as in digging a hole in the ground and putting him down in it, they were putting him in a tomb. Once when the Israelites were burying a man, they spied a band of these raiders, and so they hastily threw the corpse into the tomb. Imagine this story. They're throwing this dead body into this hole in the cave just to get rid of it so they can leave really fast. And they, they threw the corpse into the tomb of Elisha, and they ran. 
But as soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, the dead man revived and jumped to his feet. Crazy story. And as Jesus would say about others in the Old Testament, one greater than Elisha is here. Now, if Elisha's bones, or rather the power of God through such a powerful prophet like Elisha, if, they, if that could bring a dead man to life merely because a corpse touched the bones, what could the death of Christ do for the righteous dead men and women all over the vicinity of Jerusalem? You see, it's not just the first dramatic exit from the tomb that's just... I'm, that's the most fantastic thing for me. That's fantastic. To rise from the dead is amazing. To stay alive, though, is another. Fully alive, as we were always meant to be. Wholeness in perfect unity with an unending relationship with the Father. It's not just some human being reanimated or the breath put back into them. I mean, anybody who was who was resurrected in the Bible, like Lazarus, uh, in John 11, or the daughter of Jairus, or even poor Eutychus, who, you know, fell asleep in the windowsill, fell out and died, and, and he was raised back to life. It's not just those people. Those people were raised to life, and they died again. This is Jesus, resurrected to a glorified, eternal body. You know, like the ones we're going to have someday. That's what Easter points us to. Let's not overlook Jesus walking out of his tomb. But let's take in the whole story of his resurrection. It's him coming out of the tomb. It's surprising the women who were there. It's, it's him appearing to his disciples saying, look, see my hands and my side. It's, it's him walking along two men on the road to Emmaus, and they didn't recognize him. And he talked with them about the current events and the prophets and how the Messiah had to suffer. And when he broke the bread, then they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. It's about being in a group of about 500 people who witnessed the risen Christ all at once. It was 40 days of him appearing here and, and coming over there and talking to this person and, and speaking, as Acts 1-3 says, talking to the disciples about the kingdom of God. It's about him fixing breakfast on a beach when the disciples were out in their fishing boat having caught nothing all night long. It's about having a deeply healing conversation with Peter to restore brokenness, to forgive betrayal, to give assurance and purpose and mission to his life again. If you were to have a fireside chat with the risen Christ, how would that sound? How would he feel about you? What, what would he say to me? I think our answers about that question reveal a lot of who we think Jesus is and our relationship to him. I think, though, that I'm pretty sure that every one of those conversations that he would have with me or with you would end the same way that he did with Peter. He would just say, follow me. Follow me. I think a good many of us have heard these things, and we've been in and out of church on Easter Sunday morning, and we've heard all kinds of angles about this. And we say, well, that certainly is amazing. I mean, obviously it's a miracle, it's a game changer, and it's a cool story. <laughs> but what does that really have to do with me? How does this change anything for my life right now 
It's a fair question. At which point, I think a lot of us would talk about, well, forgiveness of sin. It's about eternal salvation. It's about life in the hereafter. It's about heaven. And we wouldn't be wrong. But it kind of limits our response to a decision. It's a transaction that we make with God. And it doesn't really touch every facet of our life. What are we missing here? I think we're missing quite a bit if we just see it that way alone. For the New Testament writers and the early Christ followers, they kept hearing, follow me. They kept hearing Jesus say things like, keep my teaching, carry out my mission, make disciples, seek the lost, baptize, teach them to obey, proclaim the good news, receive the Holy Spirit, walk in step with the Spirit. And abide in me, he said, and I will remain in you forever. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. This is more than just deciding you want your sins forgiven and you want to go to heaven someday. This is life united with Christ. This is dying to self and being raised to a new life. We will have a resurrection like his. But the obvious but understated fact that before there can be a resurrection, there needs to be a death. Here's a trick question. Maybe. Have you died yet? I mean, I'm not talking about a near-death experience. I, I, I'm talking about death to self. I'm talking about death to sin. I'm talking about have you received new life because you've died to self? Have you been resurrected here lately? I mean, in short, if you're a Christian, you have experienced, you should have experienced a death and a rebirth. And let me give you a little bit of a tour of Romans and Colossians and 2 Timothy. Romans 6.8 says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him. Colossians 2.20 says, If you've died with Christ to the elementary principles of this world, and Colossians 3.3 for you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. 2 Timothy 2.11 If we died with him, we shall also live with him. What is this, all this emphasis on dying with Christ? I mean, there's nobody else on the cross with him. There were two other guys on other crosses, but did any of you get nailed to a cross with Jesus? No, but we all take up our cross daily and follow him. In the New Testament imagination, it is a death that occurs, an identification with Christ so closely that we, we take on his death. And we can expect his type of resurrection, both in the spiritual sense of new life and in the eternal, physical, bodily resurrection someday. We all die. But the question that I have for us is, have you died before your death? Have you died before you're dead? Because we'll all experience resurrection. Everybody will experience resurrection. The question is, which one? Which kind of resurrection will you experience? There are two. And these scriptures explain a bit about it. Daniel chapter 12 it says, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, 
and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Matthew 25, Jesus finishes a parable with, and these will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And John 5, verse 28, Jesus says, A time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. So, I think that God, in his mercy, that very first Easter morning, gave us a quick glimpse of the power and the hope that will someday be revealed in all of us that the resurrection of Christ brings. It's no small thing for God to bring to life what's been dead. It's no small thing. It's an easy thing for him to do. It's an easy thing for him to bring order where there's chaos, to bring peace where there's conflict, to bring healing where there's pain. And we experience it. We get to experience this now in part as we become new in Christ. But we look forward to a day when we'll experience this kind of resurrection fully, bodily, eternally, final, full, and free. But the question these days is, how can we experience even a hint of that resurrection power when we still live in a body of death and decay, when we still live in a world that's falling apart? Well, it's always been falling apart. Before this virus ever hit, there was a different virus. There was another pandemic. There was another thing, the plague that hit. Every few years, there is something like this that happens to huge numbers of population. There's wars that break out that kill millions of people. This is nothing new. So God's people have, for centuries, lived in resurrection power while surrounded in death and decay. We're no different. This has all been done before. We're still caught in the now, but the not yet. All creation groans in pain. It longs to be renewed one day. It mourns the present condition, and it yearns for renewal and healing. And I'm faced, just like you, with my own fears, my own sin, my own limitations, and I am yet given this this amazing reality of, of resurrection isn't entirely just for the future. Not not all is in the future. I'm caught in this, but yet I am free. Jesus says I'm free. I am convicted, I'm a sinner, but yet I'm forgiven. And I still carry around this flesh and all of its desires and habits and selfish tendencies, but because of the blood of Christ and my faith in its power, I am being made new with ever-increasing glory to be more like Jesus every day. One day I know I will see him as he is. I have been given new life because of Christ's resurrection. But we have not entirely experienced glory as it will be revealed in us. This Easter Sunday, it is good to stand amazed before an empty tomb and worship a God who defeated death and will ultimately vanquish it altogether. But consider the implications of death's defeat in your own life. Have you died with Christ? Have you died to your own self? Have you had it crucified 
and lay down your own life. Do you and I die daily and take up our cross and follow him? Do we long to participate in the glory of Christ so much that we're willing to follow him in his suffering? Because there's no glory without suffering. There's no resurrection without the grave. Those holy ones, as they're called, who walked out of their tombs that Easter morning, let your imagination take that for a second. I wonder if they knew what was happening. I mean, I wonder if they knew why they were alive again. They could have very well, I mean, by God's mercy, been told or been given an impression or or understood in their in their own senses that something incredible had just happened. And but I wonder what kind of ruckus and mayhem that that they caused as they walked through the streets of the of the city in their grave clothes. I wonder as they entered into their homes, as they encountered their family and their friends and recognized them, what horror, but yet what joy there was in that city as loved ones who were dead now were alive. If you can wrap your brain around that, you can project your emotions onto this, how much more then can we imagine that God as Father, we were dead in our transgressions and sins, yet we are made alive through Christ, through faith in Christ, and that father who saw the son way off in the distance and ran to meet him, threw his arms around him and gave him a new cloak to wear and new shoes on his feet and threw a party for him. Imagine the dead come back to life. This cannot be overstated. Those who came out of the graves that morning, for a time lived, and they died again, and they had to be buried all over again. But Jesus came back from the dead by the power of the Father, never to die again. Death no longer had mastery over him. And because he did, we who are in Christ now have the same hope when we face death. Whether it's obvious to us or not, we will face death someday. Have you died before you're dead? If you haven't, we need to have a conversation. You need to give me a phone call or we need to talk over, over six feet of space so that we can talk about your eternity. Because they, the experience of resurrection is not just for Bible characters and it's not just for Jesus. It can be ours too. It will be ours because of what he accomplished in our faith and who he is. We're going to gather as families, as people in our own homes, over communion now. Pray together. Break the bread. Pass the cup. And take time to remember Jesus' death, but also to celebrate his resurrection because it gives us the promise and the hope of new life now as well as eternal life later. Father, thank you for this morning for leading us and, and directing the gospel writers to include details that were just fantastic. Hard to believe sometimes, but it just added so much detail and layer and, and credibility to the gospel accounts. 
And I thank you that we were given this little nugget of, of people freed from their tombs and resurrected right alongside Christ Jesus as a foreshadowing, a bit of a preview of what we as followers of Jesus now can experience in our own heart as we die to ourselves and be made new in our lives as the Spirit indwells us, but also to have faith that as the as Christ was glorified, so also we will have this glorified eternal resurrected body because of because of what He accomplished. And so we give thanks as we remember that in communion today. And as we are uh, scattered in our on our own homes, I pray that your peace would be upon us. And that even though uh, the building here is empty, so is the tomb. But our hearts are full, and we're grateful for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.